Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. I am your host. And this week, I have another in-person interview, Kathleen A. Scoville of the KAS Group. She's the managing partner and founder. Um, and it is a sports marketing, advertising, and overall a, a guru of anything related to all of the above. She's worked with everyone from Prince to some of your teams that you know and love to some of the brands that you know and love that help you do your laundry. <laughs> uh, she has a really interesting story. And one of the things that she's involved with right now is the um, hashtag see her movement. And we talk a lot about that. We talk a little bit about her time with Prince and everything in between. So I hope you enjoy this interview. Make sure you are rating and reviewing us as well. I'm going to say that right now because I'm going to ask you to do it right now. It's my birthday week. So go rate, review, and uh, share it with everyone for my birthday. All right? All right. Enjoy the interview. Hi, Kathleen. How are you? I'm good. How about you? I am doing well. Welcome to my apartment on St. Patrick's Day. I'm in green. Are you? No. Oh, no. But you got the green spirit a little bit? No. Maybe? No. Irish coffee? Well, definitely not. (laughs) But. (laughs) Some good coffee. Yeah. Um, I'm really happy that you're here. We met a while back at a women's event at University of South Florida. And um, we were fortunate enough to be sitting at the same table. How did you fall in love with sports? So how did I fall in love with sports? That's a great question. So being the only girl on the block, if I wanted to play, it had to be sports. And I was the typical little girl where um, before coming into the house, after I got dropped off by the bus, I'd have to go say hello to all the dogs and then come (laughs) in, (laughs) come in. And my mom had a plate of cookies and she knew that I would grab some cookies and run out the back door and my brother would grab a some of the cookies and run upstairs and do homework. And I had to go outside and run around for three hours. So I, if you wanted to play, it was football, baseball, basketball, kick the can tag. That was it. So, oh my gosh. Um, did you play sports as you went through school or? I did. Um, so my biggest thing was running. So I ran cross country and track. I was me too. A, you did. You did. So you get that endurance thing and kind of that high thing that you get off of it where it's a goal that you set and you, and you make that happen because it's, it's individual, but it's team at the same time. I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know you played, played that you did that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I allegedly call myself a runner still, even though I haven't run in a while. And Jerry, who is here with us again, everyone. Hi, he Jerry. says hi. I need to have him cut a little piece of that uh, Catherine Switzer interview that I did where she tells me to put on my shoes and go running and turn that into an alarm. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard when, you know, you've got someone as amazing as her telling you, just put your shoes on, go out for 10 minutes. It's and you're true. Like, it's true. God, you're 71 running the London Marathon and telling me to put shoes on and I am lazy. I want to. I used to. Before I'd get up and go to work, I'd probably run three to four miles and then get myself to work and be at work by 8, 830. And, you, and it's already had, you already had your like little peaceful moments. You could go on with the day and, and be cool with it. I, now it's yoga for me. Because my knees are like, I don't think so anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've done, I've done more goat yoga recently than regular yoga. 
How fun is that? So fun. Where it's got to be around here. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. And we have to come join you sometime and do it. Yeah. I do a minute of yoga. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just sit there and wait for the goats to jump on me. <laughs> I love you. That's awesome. That's funny. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, when uh, when you were figuring out where to go to college, you went to University of Minnesota, Twin Cities. I'm Correct. guessing you're from up in the Minnesota area. Um, yes. Did you go there knowing you wanted to get into advertising, marketing, or communications? So interesting that you asked that. Um, yes, University of Minnesota, born and raised outside of Minneapolis and Golden Valley. Uh, and Sports were very much a big thing, even when I was in high school, because that's typically how you got scholarships and typically how you found your next step out. Um, I ended up going to University of Minnesota. I thought I was only going to go for two years, be uh, two years. And then when I looked up, I'm like, oh, my gosh, two years is over so quickly. So I ended up that's going to University of Hawaii on an exchange program. Wait, wait, wait. We had a there was an exchange program with Hawaii. So there's the National Student Exchange Program where there at the time were about 25 schools involved. And for Hawaiians, it's very hard for them to get off the island. So to do an exchange program where they could pay as if they're going to University of Hawaii, but go to Minnesota. And I paid as if I was going to Minnesota, but I was going to Hawaii. So Sounds terrible. But um, I did travel industry management coursework. So I had hotel, motel management coursework and some marketing. First place I took some marketing, uh, marketing class and I didn't like my professor, believe it or not. He was not, he didn't teach. He, all he did was like read the chapters and then you guys all get together and talk about it. He never talked about anything. Then when I came back to Minnesota after being in Hawaii, I was about, about a two miles north of Waikiki in Manoa Valley. I did horrible my first quarter back and I'm like, all right, you're going to get an internship. And so I got an internship with uh, the ABC affiliate and that's what got me started into marketing and advertising. I was an intern on a show called Good Company which was the first kind of the nation that was kind of like an entertainment tonight, but it was specifically, it was an hour show specifically for the Minnesota, Wisconsin area. And they would bring in authors and do helpful hints and do cooking. And um, the man that started it, Steve Edelman now has a number of shows on HGTV. So he was the executive producer and the talent as well as his wife. We watched his wife fall in love with him as a co-host on TV. So I was an intern. So, you know, you're running around. I mean, I remember one time we had a cow pine throw contest and I had to go find a what a cow pine throwing contest. And we, and I had to go find the cow pies to, to, for people to do. I mean, it's, you're an intern. Come on. You know, the things you have to do as an intern, you're like, Oh my, Oh my God, I did this. I can't believe this. And every day you had to go warm up the studio audience. So if you were shy, you had 200 people to be in front of, to help warm them up and get them going to let them know who was on the show. So that's what got me into this crazy business. Cause I've got a huge production background of commercials and music videos and working on feature films. That's really funny. It was probably really helpful. The warming up of the crowd um, in your, when you started your career in sales. Absolutely. 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 Can you talk about what you did in that first job out of school? So the first job out of school, um, I was probably atypical because I freelanced for a number of years and I worked in commercials and music videos. So I worked at different production houses and I propped, I wardrobe, I styled, I did casting, I did location scouting. I did just about everything except be the producer. And then about five, six, five, six years became the producer. And that's when I produced a number of, um, 
a number of large music videos for Prince years ago, back in the day when he was still out at Paisley Park and Warner Brothers was his partner and did some incredible work and won some awards for it. And, and uh, it was interesting because it was, I was already stepping outside of marketing and ended up getting a phone call and they called me back and said, we really want you to come back and line produce for us. Will you? So I sat out at Paisley park for almost two years, line producing. That's incredible. It's, it's funny because I think of it as being so unassuming because it's been so long ago, but yeah, I, I really was. What made it incredible is that as a line producer, I had all these different people reporting to me. So I would have three, 400 people on a set, but at the end of the day, I would maybe have 10, 15 people reporting to me and we would sit down with the storyboards, look at what needed to be done, let them go do their thing because everyone's got their talent and their gift. And we all arrived on that magical day and we'd make it happen on that magical day. So granted, there were some days that were a little bit crazier than others. Some days where I would, I'll never forget. I had an hour drive between Minneapolis and out to Paisley Park. It was a little bit, it was still cell phones, but it was the brick cell phones at the time. Mm -hmm. And from that time, it changed from having 300 people on a set to 30 people and building a 1940 set. So I had to call off catering. I had to call off 300 extras. I had to call off all these people and turn into a 1940s bar within about three hours. <laughs> so can you explain what a line producer is? So a line producer, um, you have two producers typically on a set. You have a producer that um, is typically in charge of the agency, but a line producer is a person that is in the studio and they have, they hire the grips, they hire the extras, they hire the elect electrics. They're in charge of the budget that's behind the scenes. So you have to make sure that you keep the artist happy, you keep the director happy, you keep the label happy, and that you are able to make things on time um, in a relevant amount of budget that you need to use. And there's all these different legal things that you have to keep going as well. You've got to make sure people are getting paid out a certain amount of time. You've got to make sure you feed everyone every six hours. You have to make sure that um, if you are doing some sort of uh, extra production, that people have safety rigs. I mean, you're, make, you're the go-to to make sure that everything's going to be okay. That sounds like a lot of different things going on at once. You're the... You're the person that has the answers, but it's also the person that has the right Rolodex to go and find the answers. Keynote, I said Rolodex, because back then that's pretty much what it was. <laughs> that's what it was. It wasn't, I could go Google something. So I had a little black book that was like full of all sorts of information and everything that I'd built throughout my career to make it, uh, make it to become a line producer. So if I had to find, you know, I had a European, we did, we shot a European version. So I had to find women that wanted to go topless. In, in, in the music video. So where do you go? What do you do for that? I mean, or certain types of materials or certain types of, of instruments or whatever. I had it in my Rolodex of where we could go. It's so weird to think about needing different people for a European version. You do because you needed women that would go topless. Yeah. So, um, and it was kind of an interesting story because I would send the guys down to the strip joints. I'd give them my card and say, have them call me. And they would come out to Paisley. And of course, you know, want to strip. And I'm like, you don't need a strip. I just need a picture of you in the front and the back. 
I need to know if you're going to be comfortable or not. Yes, 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 yes. So here's the interesting part of that is that the music video that we were producing at the time was called Get Off. And it was um, a three a three tiered um, scaffolding of all these little vignettes. And so those women were in these in these vignettes. And I remember the day that we were we were shooting this. I said to them, and I was probably maybe five or six older than they five or six years older than they were. But I said to them, if at any time you feel uncomfortable, you can scream my name, Kathleen, as loud as you want, and I will stop everything. And they just looked at me and said, really, you can do that? I said, you can do anything you want. You can empower yourself. What a good lesson. Right. And I'm thinking these women need to know that they can empower themselves through their choices and by saying no at the same time. Well, you know, based on the timing of when that came out too, how nice for them to know that there was somebody there who they could do that, you know, who would do that for them. Because I'm, I'm guessing they'd probably been in situations where there wasn't somebody who even asked them if they would feel comfortable or not. Right, right. No, very true. And fast forward now, I was just in New York at a program for See Her and we had a program where um, a woman was talking about being a female director and the woman that the director on that music video was a woman, Randy Nicholson. So when I think back in those days that that was an odd thing to have a female director, I'm like, I didn't feel like it would be atypical, but you know what? Prince was like that. He would always think outside the box and do things outside the box and give people chances. That's why like you said, that empowerment and being able to have those women to be able to say, no, their jaws dropped. And I did stop it one time because someone was really uncomfortable. And I remember I pulled her down and she's like, no, 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 I don't want to go home. I'm like, I'm not sending you home. I said, I just want to say, are you okay? And I looked at the guys and I'm like, knock it off. And we went on. Prince had that feminine energy about him anyway. I feel like that he would connect well you know and that's why he would probably go outside the box and have a female director when it wasn't something that was normal absolutely i I did a document with the bbc so i had the i had the golden key to all of his music what yes back back in the day i had the key to all of his music because they're like kathleen we know we can trust you here's the key wait do we have a link to this documentary somewhere i don't know i'd have to go i'll go look i'll go there's there's got to be because it, it was an interesting documentary because we were able to see a lot of the different uh, uh things that prince had produced and things that were still not out and the one thing that i remember is a writer from the rolling stone said said there's something very unique about prince because he's very androgynous which is true like he he, he could walk into paisley park you wouldn't see him but you could smell him He's the only guy that could wear four inch heels and smell like perfume. And yet (laughs) there was something still really sexy about him. Men, men were okay with him. Women felt comfortable with him, even scantily cladded in lingerie. And yet men knew don't trust him around your girlfriend, because at some point he may bat those eyes and she might be interested. (laughs) And you would see it like you would see it sometimes. So um, he was you know, such a talent in his own way. And, and, and I had written something that I should probably post again about the one thing that he demanded was excellence. So even though we may have had a call time at, you know, I'd call crew in at three o'clock and our call time for him was probably seven o'clock. He wouldn't show up till midnight, but his golden time was between midnight and six in the morning. 
even though we were so dead on our feet, we just knew that that's what it was going to be. So, but he, he was um, very much androgynous, but had, he had a lot of sexuality to him at the same time. He was dating Carmen Electra at the time. I remember that. Mm-hmm. I, met Which, her- I mean, that's like a duo, right? He, oh my God. And so many people listening to this are going to be like, who the hell's Carmen Electra? Um, but we'll find photos of them together. I mean, totally. It, the big hair between the two of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Aquanet had uh, really good sales <laughs> that year. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So <laughs> after you, uh, after you were, I don't know, done producing with mm-hmm. Prince, where, where'd you go off to next? So part of the reason why I flipped over to the selling side is that I realized that when I was on production sets, I was pretty much the only one that had a degree and I got along with everybody really well. I got along with everyone behind the camera. I got along with everybody in front of the camera and I knew I didn't want to be walking around in my jeans and cowboy boots, even though I still love jeans and cowboy boots. I didn't want to be <laughs> walking around in them on cement floors for 18 hour days. So I'm like, all right, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I should go rep. I should, I should go rep. I know film. I know production. I can go do that. So I ended up knocking on a number of production doors to see if they needed any repping, any repping at all. And at the time they had brought everybody in, so they didn't need anybody repping. So I ended up repping still photography, fashion, food and product. So can I'm going to stop you. Can you explain what you mean by repping? So representing it would be it, representing someone is going and making sure that all the different ad agencies that are on the local level as well as on a national level have an understanding of the creative artists, no matter if it's animation, if it's cartoonist, if it's photography, if it's an editor or if you're a film director. So there's certain people, there's art directors, creative directors and print producers who you would go and build a relationship and show them different portfolios or different tapes or different. Um, and, and I don't think there's there's rep, repping firms out there now, but there's not individual reps nearly as much as there was before. And it was building relationships and knocking on doors and saying, hey, I think I know what you might need for a craft ad or for a um, Kellogg's commercial or whoever, whoever. Did you um, did you take that and and kind of dig your way into sports that way? Well, two things I would say made the sports side of that happen is that I had the tenacity and the longevity to go knock on doors and make that happen. That comes from the running days, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I'm dyslexic, so no means on. You're going to say no. At the end of the day, my whole th- my whole journey is more or less, you should probably know me one way or another, <laughs> especially if you're in an agency or some sort of firm that I'm going to get into. Because by the time you see me or the time you get in front of a table, you're going to be the only person who doesn't know me. And that's not my fault. It's more your fault. Because at the end of the day, it's my job to build the relationships and get that rapport going in a very dynamic, genuine, and authentic way. I mean, there's been times where I've said to people, you don't need to buy this. You shouldn't be doing this. And there's other times I'm like, you need to do this. You know, that's why I still have the longstanding relationships that I have. Um, and, and, and so through that journey of repping still photography and special effects and film transfer and editorial, I've always had this gift of opening up doors and building relationships. and People are like, how are you doing that? I'm like, well, I go in and I let them talk about them <laughs> and ask questions about them and not always about me 
of the stuff that I'm trying to sell at the end of the day. It's building the bridge one way or another. And so as my journey through, and I've sat in Chicago for a number of years now, I was able to sell a lot of different things. And um, I was at one point at an entertainment company and it called on a gentleman at General Motors and he was in charge of all the um, all the different events for sports, sports entertainment marketing. And I knew a lot about him. And he said to me at one point, he goes, you know so much about me and my company. How did you ever figure all this out? I said, I did my research on you. He goes, I want to do business with you. I don't know when, but I'm going to figure it out because you're good. <laughs> so, which was a compliment that was Tim Young and uh, who owns his own company now. And he called me about six months later and the company was GMR Works, which was a solely dedicated agency for General Motors. Now it's Jack Morton. For 10 years, GMR Works negotiated all the deals for General Motors. So think baseball, foot, you know, NFL, MLB, the Olympics, anything with the Grammys, anything inside the movies, they negotiated that. So they had 10 years of white papers that nobody knew about. They couldn't promote it. They couldn't tell anything about it. And they, it was all designed um, on a, a more or less a program where they did national, uh, international, national, down to regional, down to local uh, to get, you know, to sell metal off the, off the lots. And they were, their goals were actually up against numbers so that they knew that the retailers would actually be selling the automobiles. So I came in as a new business person because they knew everything about automobiles, but they didn't know how to talk insurance or how to talk um, candy bars or shoes or any type of soap or, or shampoo or anything like that. And so I said, well, let me look at what you're selling. How are you showing people? But at the end of the day, it was selling measurement, uh, a measurement tool and showing how do how can we extend your brand reach? And I'll never forget, I sat down with Tony Andrea and we chatted a little bit and he said, you know what, we should probably try this. So, and if anyone knows the name Tony Andrea on the uh, event activation experiential marketing uh, industry, he's probably one of the first two people that really started it. Um, anyone that is at a high level position right now has either worked with him, around him, or have worked for him one way or another. And so Tony and I, I remember we had our first sales call at Dial Hinkle. And I showed him what I was going to present. He goes, I don't like it. I said, okay, too bad. You're going to let me do it anyway, because I'm going to show you how it works. And I said, after two presentations, if you don't like it, we'll do it. We'll do it your way. So we did this big presentation to Dial Hinkle. And he turns to me 45 minutes later. He goes, oh, my God, this works. I said, told you, told you. <laughs> and so what they were doing was trying to go beyond the automobile industry absolutely and, and do advertising or agency work for other brands and yes. types of companies yes. okay yes they, so they they had just had general motors and, and general motors tipped their hat and said yeah let's go in and and you can show more of your white papers and let's go and get some more clients so we were at P&G we were at Hinkle and we were in Allstate and we were I mean I opened up 31 doors in five and a half months. We were all over the place, but it was great work and we were, we were getting traction and, and it was interesting and invigorating. It was fun because at the end of the day, it was Tony Andrew and Ty Damon and I, and what was great is that they, we each had our own skill sets and no ego was involved. We were just in there to go and find how we could solve a solution for the client. And that was the best part. Um, we would walk in, we had our roles um, and walk out and I'll never forget Ty Damon. He's kind of like the mad scientist. He's a marketer right now. Um, 
working for a couple different companies because he retired, but now he's back in the game because he's just too good at being gone. And uh, he would turn to me after a sales call and go, I know what they want. I'll give it to you and you can give it to them tomorrow. I'm like, okay, fine. It was incredible. I mean, he helped with Volt, with General Motors releasing the Volt car. Mm -hmm. Um, And every time there was a change with the agency, they're like, Ty's got to be on this. Ty Damon's our man. He's got to be on this. So to have a client say that about someone is incredible. It's incredible. One of the benefits of having cats and not kids is that I don't have to drag them to the mall to look for new shoes. And that has to happen a lot, apparently, when you have kids. With Easy Kicks, kids can wear their shoes as long as they want. And once they are wrecked, too small, which apparently they grow really quickly, those little kiddos. Or your kids just want a new style. You can send back the used shoes in a prepaid shipping envelope and Easy Kicks will donate them to a nonprofit partner. Each shipment comes in a personalized box with fun stickers and other club features for your kids, which is always pretty cool. Who doesn't like to get mail? And at only $20 a month per child, there are no limits to how often you can swap for a new pair. They're an official partner of Nike, so you know you're going to get great shoes and they release a new style each week. I wish I could swap my shoes each week for a new style. Visit easykicks.com slash join now to sign up. Use discount code EZLISTEN at checkout for $5 off your first month in the club. That's easykicks.com slash join now using discount code EZLISTEN. When you got into the experiential marketing side of it, the event marketing, how how does that tie into sports? What for those who are say in college and haven't actually, you know, been in the industry and don't really know what that means? Can you can you put it into terms or um, paint a picture of a, a time when they may have seen that actually occur? Sure, experiential marketing at the end of the day um, is putting. Uh, top of mind, top of spend, top of wallet for clients. And so an experiential marketing would be if you're going to a fan zone at the Super Bowl and you see, you know, Tide, Tide has, um, Tide has a, a rolling bus where what they typically do is when someone goes through a hurricane or a bad tornado, it's, it's called loads of love and they bring in the bus and everyone can come has been affected, come and do free wash of their clothes because one thing that you probably aren't able to do is get wash your clothes. And it's 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 experiential marketing because it's extending their brand that they're able to help other individuals. But say at a Super Bowl fan fest, they'll do loads of loves there where you can buy a tie t-shirt, you can spin a tie t-shirt with tie dye, and that that funding or purchase of that tie t-shirt actually goes to helping with the loads of love. So that's experiential marketing. I mean, but experiential marketing are so many different things. Now, ever since digital has come alive, we're trying to figure out how to how to make people feel more social because we've been so asocial looking at our computers and our phones that experiential marketing and event and event activation is where the sweet spots are right now. So years ago when we were doing it, it was just, oh, a nice thing to do. And this is what we need to do to sell automobiles. Well, now we're doing it all the time. So experimental marketing is working at WeWorks and having, you know, different donuts and coffees come in, having a a coffee or donut cart that's outside the WeWorks. It could be, um, I mean, experiential marketing is sweet touch points that are going to get you in a time of fun and entertainment so that you are open to that brand and that you associate with that brand and you buy it. 
So another example, if we go back to running, would be if there's some sort of interaction at like a an expo. Absolutely. Um, like a race expo, right? Like a Nike expo mm-hmm. um, could happen. Um, so you have Lifetime Fitness that has a lot of different runs. Um, they have lots of different expos that happen there. So you can go in and you get your 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 big tag, your race tag and your number and everything. But then, of course, there's, you know, different in that expo there's different nutrition and food and and clothing and shoes and information that you can actually receive from them and yeah they're part of the sponsorship too so you know that they're paying some prime dollars for that but they're also touching the right people that are their market right all of those uh booths that have the you know spin the wheel type thing and you know throw a football through a you know target or something like that absolutely so when I, uh, from, from working GMR, I ended up going and working for a Hispanic marketing company uh, called Cardenas Marketing Network. And that was all event activation and, and concert tours. So concerts are also another place that people don't think about where that's event activation at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there I sold a large program, um, of major league soccer and soccer is such a huge area where event activation was happening years ago. And people, people don't realize that. I mean, you buy a soccer ticket and essentially what I had sold was an MLS program um, event activation for General Motors. And we had, it was for Gold Cup and we had seven different games that we had to activate across the country, Um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but we had all the brands and we had at the games, um, we had to make sure cars were delivered at the right time. We had the right type of activation that was there. We had bilingual ambassadors, which at one point we had not. Um, and knowing and understanding the flavors, the colors, the conversations that need to happen in Texas are different than Florida, are different than what you have in, Col- in California. Right. And who are who you're having those conversations with. So selling that program and then activating it. I mean, who would think that on a Wednesday afternoon you would have 80,000 Hispanics at two o'clock in an afternoon, even though the game is at seven or eight o'clock at night? Have them come for the fan fest, which is where they have the big spinny thing for Verizon or the test driving for General Motors. Or we had a huge Wrigley bus where we actually had handed out over a million pieces of gum to help help Wrigley understand the Hispanic marketing audience. But the the big takeaway from some of that was that how do you brand inside the stadium? Not just there, but inside the stadium. And, And what are you doing six months, six weeks prior? during the event and then six weeks after and continuing the conversation. Right. Right. And that's where you'll see things like, you know, um, those little like face things with the, you know, and like you give them out outside of the venue and then you see them all throughout the venue when the actual main event is going on. That's what we did that. You know what? Wrigley was a brand that was known on an international level in the Hispanic audience because of all the branding that we did of the number ones, the T-shirts, you name it. We had part of that stadium that was just blocked out. That was all Wrigley, which was incredible when you think about that. When did you um, start your own company? So I've had it on and off for 20 years because when I was a freelancer, um, it allowed me the opportunity to be able to say the Casgrove Bank 
Um, it allowed me to mold it what I wanted it to be and what I was growing each and every day to be. So I had no fear at all to have my own business. Um, and you know, and having your own business, there's some really great things about it and there's some really not great things about it. Um, I like working in a team. I'm good at working in a team. Um, and I don't know all the answers. I don't want to know the answers. So that's part of, um, having your own business. It's great to have, but you've got to make sure you've got the right mentors and the right team that you can go to at the same time. Where did you find those mentors or those teammates that you, you know, needed for support and to, to learn from? It's ever evolving. It's a great question because it, sometimes you get it when you go and find another contract that you're working on. Sometimes you get it from reading a different book. Um, sometimes picking up the phone and not being shy, which I've never been shy of any, <laughs> to be honest with you, um, and saying, hey, I need some help. Can you help me? Now it's, you know, being vulnerable, the three hardest things to say are, I love you. I'm sorry. I need help. So sometimes saying I need help is not the easiest thing. I've gotten much better about doing that and finding the right people that want to help you and not just try to take the business away or this is my client. I'm very much of years ago in college, taking a communications class, there was this game that they spoke about where it was a ball and there were um, ropes tied to it. And when they gave it to the kids in Japan, they were all running around in a circle at the same time, they were winning. When they gave it to the kids in the U.S., whoever pulled the hardest won. And I need a team that when everyone's working at the same time, they're, they're doing this, the great things together. Because that's what teamwork is really about. Sure, sure. Do you, um, are there, do you have some constants, though? Do you have some mentors that have been with you for a long time that you've worked with for a long time or, or people that you consistently have um, engaged with at, to get feedback and to, to help grow as an individual. Key word that you said feedback, because feedback isn't always easy to get, especially when it's not positive feedback. And yet, how are you going to grow if you can't find that, get that feedback? So clients and old colleagues and said, hey, how do I do in this? Where do I need to improve? What can I do better? What did I, what was I really stellar at? Um, and, and having those conversations and having those people you can go back to now, as I grow into my career, I want to do what I'm really good at. Mm -hmm. And I want to stay to that blue and true. I don't have to do all the other stuff because at the <laughs> end of the day, there's, that's why we have doctors and lawyers and dentists. I'm not doing my own health exam. I'm not doing my own dental cleaning. I pay someone to do that. So why not? go where my sweet spot is and stay in that zone. You don't give yourself a dental <laughs> exam every month? No. But Wait, is that not something people do? <laughs> no, but it, you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's finding that sweet spot. So then, you know, on the flip side, how do you find ways to mentor or um, help other people come up in the industry? So my door is always open. Um, I've got a couple of women that I've mentored in Chicago, uh, and I have to say one of them, um, she was a, a, a woman who had made a change coming from Sedona and going to Chicago all on her own and wanted to get into event activation. And I gave her a couple of people to interview. Um, if I trust you and know you, I'll let you use my name to get into some doors. And so I had her interview with a couple of different people and she chose a company to go with which wasn't the right one. And I let her sit and work in it for about six months. And she came to me, she goes, I don't think I made the right choice. I said, why? <laughs> and she explained to me why I said, good. 
I said, do you want me to go open up that other door for you? She said, yeah. And you know what? She sat there for two years and now is on a great journey of doing what she wants to do in event activation and concerts. Um, I, I do mentoring with um, a couple different other organizations. I did Athletes Against Drugs, um, which was Stedman Graham's program, where what they more or less did was bring athletes together and raise money for an after-school program so that kids had different choices when it came besides just going out and hanging out on the streets, but they could go and, and, and be a part of sport. That was, that's really important to me. Um, if you can't see it, you're not going to be it. So you have to have the, everyone talks about equal rights and equal this or that. It's literally, it's, it's equal access at the end of the day. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, my intro episode um, to this podcast, I talked about how important representation is and how we, uh, in particular as women, if we don't see people in positions that we, uh, in various positions, we may not even think we could have those types of positions, which is why I try and get a diverse set of women on the podcast to show the many different ways that people can go in their careers related to sport. Absolutely. I was fortunate enough where my mom always worked, but she always figured out how to do it so she could somewhat be at home too. So she was a flight attendant and then an Avon lady. And then she sold jewelry and furs. And she was always <laughs> doing something that was fun and different and creative, yet always had her foot in something and always was bringing in some type of money. So that was her own. So I never thought twice of doing my own thing and never thought twice of why can I not be in this? I mean, for me to knock down the doors that I knocked down and to be able to produce and do the experiential market that I've done, there weren't a lot of women doing that back then, sure. which I had no idea. I mean, hey, being the only girl on the block, I was used to being the only one in the room or the only one able to play. I mean, even when I go into business meetings now, I'm amazed when I look around, I'm like, how am I the only woman still in the room? It can't be like that. I mean, I had worked with an agency and was calling on a a large automobile company and um, gotten us in, into the door and there was a meeting that was going to happen. And I said to my boss, I said, don't you think I should be part of that meeting? He goes, well, it's not my meeting. I don't know. I said, well, 85% of women purchase automobiles. That's part of their intent of the consumer. You should probably have some woman, a woman in there. Don't you think he goes, well, you could call the guy who's doing the, who's doing the meeting. I'm like, I called him. I said, I think I should be in there. He goes, you're right. You should. And I was the only woman in there. I'm like, this is amazing. That was only three, four years ago. I mean, that's just that, that to me, I'm like, not everyone is thinking at that table. You know, we, <laughs> we see examples of this on a pretty constant basis, which is really unfortunate. Um, one most recently with that Bumble um, yes. social media little snafu that a, a team had on the West Coast. Yes. Um, you know that a woman wasn't involved in that meeting. Right. Because she'd be like, ah. Not really sure that using Anne Frank. Yes, yes, is yes. a good idea. Yeah, not thinking. You actually at all. don't need to be a woman to know that. That's just common. Like, well, it's lack of empathy. At the end of the day, empathy is such a powerful tool, and people don't know how to use it, or they're afraid to use right. it. My first of all, I have a rule: if you're thinking of utilizing the Holocaust to market <sighs> something, yeah, you're wrong. Right. Just unless you are literally a Holocaust like memorial. Right. Hey, where I grew up, I was close to St. Louis Park, Minnesota, and you would go to the Lincoln Dell and you would see someone's arms go out and you could see 
Oh my God. You could see the tattoo of the, of the number. So it's a whole different meaning Yeah, when you've seen that and feel that. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, respect is a huge thing and people who don't believe that happen or, um, you know, have all these unconscious biases against certain groups or different things. So just, you need to check it at the door. Yeah. I mean, we have to become aware of our unconscious bias, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, and it, having an unconscious bias doesn't necessarily make you a racist or xenophobic. All it means is that there's something that you're just not even aware that you're doing. Right. Right. We do this a lot. Um, the great example is with resumes. You put the same resume in front of somebody and you, you take the names off. Right. And yep. that's actually the best way to look at it. Yes. Um, because if you look at the same resume and you put a male name versus a female name on it, your unconscious biases is, is gonna absolutely you know, uh, come up. And um, same thing with like you're walking down the street and you see an African American on the other side of you know on coming towards you. Do you stay on the same side of the street or do you go to the other side? You know you don't even realize you're doing it sometimes. Right. You think you're going to the other side of the street because the store is eight blocks away on the you know, other side of the street. Right. So let's just cross now. Right. Right. Um, and it's something that I think that we all have to kind of become aware of. So I'm very atypical to that because of my year in Hawaii. I know what it's like to be the minority. So I was mm. a minority for a year. So that's why I could do African-American marketing and Hispanic marketing very well. You throw me in a group all like that and I'm going to get along with them really well. You throw me in a group that all looks like me. I'm pretty bored. I'm bored. <laughs> I am. I'm like, oh God, everybody looks like me in here. And it's interesting how I even attract that into my life without even trying to attract it. I think part of it is that I have an openness to me Mm -hmm. and a curiosity to me. So um, when I was doing the Hispanic marketing at CMN, uh, three weeks in, we had a huge event for Budweiser and um, I was, it was probably 900 people there and I was down on the dance floor learning how to salsa. And one of the executive directors comes over to me. She goes, of course you would be there learning how to salsa. You just, you just tried to be one of us. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, I've got to learn this culture. She goes, you are us because you're lovely. I mean, which was so, (laughs) which was so sweet of her to say, but, but you know, you got, you've got to, to really be able to know it. You've got to immerse yourself in it. Now, granted, I don't speak, you know, a lick of Espanol, but here I would be in conference rooms with bicultural, um, bilingual master degree people that were Hispanic and yet the CMO would be a blonde haired, blue eyed man. And he would turn to me and say, Kathleen, what do you think? And I'm thinking, Oh my God, do you know how smart these people are? Why are but, you asking them? <laughs> right, right. Why, why are you not asking them? But because I looked like him, he thought I would know all the answers. Sure. So I was the go between. And I think, you know, like you said, we get our unconscious bias and I've had them on me. Oh yeah. I mean, I, we listen, I think we all do. Right. And, yeah. and you just, as you evolve, you learn and you grow and, Hopefully, right? That's yep. at least in my life. That's the goal um, for me. Uh, you know, I'm always trying to to pull back my my judgmental uh, uh, side of me. It doesn't work a lot of times, but but um, it's but okay. <laughs> the one thing that I do have to say, though, is sport and music transcends all of that because it crosses all cultures and it talks to all cultures and all people. So. Sports really important for that because it's a time of joy. It's a time of play. It's a time of growing. It's a time of defeat and a time of winning. And what do you do during those times? Right. You know, so, and even though you're 
brother in and your team you love and love and adore and you trust, hopefully that crosses over into other areas of your life as well. Looking to get a leg up in your career? Florida International University has 20 years of excellence in online education, which is pretty incredible since the internet's really only been around maybe 20-ish years. Uh, Most master's degree programs can be completed in just 12 to 24 months, and FIU online students can take advantage of high-impact opportunities that lead to success and leadership skills. Online master's degrees from FIU are designed to meet the demands of busy professionals and offer flexibility for family obligations. Check out their website for more information at fiuonline.com slash podcast. That's fiuonline.com slash podcast. You are pretty heavily involved with Anna. Can you talk about what that organization is, Anna? Uh, oh, Anna. Anna, sorry. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Sure. Um, The Association of National Advertisers. Yes. There's um, a movement called See Her that has really spoken to me. Uh, uh, See Her is uh, uh, a movement where our goal is by the year 2020 that we represent women and girls in media, close to 20% of all medium positive role models. So that's making sure that if you turn on your television or your iPad you're looking at your phone that you see an advertisement and you're going to see someone that looks like you. So black, white, Hispanic, big, little, old, anything, you name it, that we would want to have be part of the branding, be part of um, the advertising. Um, It's, it speaks to me on many different levels because it talks about empowering us and having us see ourselves because at the end of the day, if you can't see her, you can't be her. Do you, um, so you mentioned role models. Is this a movement that focuses on like morality of people or like things like that? Or are we talking about just having representation from a diversity standpoint and uh, true um, uh, depictions as opposed to airbrushing and um, things like that? Um, true depiction is couple different things. Um, what essentially we're trying to do is to shift dollars. So advertising and marketing have got the biggest spends when it comes to, you know, brands and where they're going to be placed. So where can we really make a change is going into those media buying companies and going into those brands who are investing like a Procter & Gamma and a Unilever, investing huge, you know, multi-million dollars of, of advertising dollars and saying, why don't you change the conversation put in different women inside. So there's four different questions of, is she put in a positive role model? Is she spoken to in a positive way? Um, Does she represent a woman in a positive way? So there's questions that we ask against some of the advertising that they're doing. And there's actually a measurement tool called GEM, which is gender equality measurement tool, where we can go in and we can put data to it. And we can say to you, you've got money that you're spending against this show. This show is not a gender equality measurement show that scores high. So if you reposition this to another show that scores high, you're going to show an increase of your bottom line from 4 to 10%, even greater than that at times. So we can look at, one, the commercial that you're producing, and two, where are you putting your money? Because if you're putting your money against advertisements and shows that are gender equality measurement that score high, 
you're going to see you're going to see more money to your bottom line. You're going to lift more shampoo off the shelves. You're going to sell more, you know, more cola or more bars or whatever. So the goal is Bob Leades, who's the president of the ANA, um, has said more or less that this is the most important movement that he's ever seen with inside the ANA. It speaks to all different people. Um, I don't care if you're a mother, a daughter, a father, an uncle, a brother, you know, someone that this touches one way or another. And it just so happens that at the same time, we've had the Me Too movement happen. We've had other things happen. So it's really come up into a very, very pregnant, glorious way. I mean, the this, the co-partners of this are Shelley Zellis and Gail Tifford, and they're incredibly empowered women who are kind, who are smart, who take their hand and bring you forward and know their stuff. And this is not only a passion for them, but this is their, their life's work too. And when you get into a room and you hear them speak about it and you hear all the other individuals that want to be a part of it, it's empowering. We're making changes. We're making changes. And that's sure. what counts. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, we talk about gem and we think about shows, for example, right? So I would think a good uh, gem scoring show would be something like This Is Us. Correct. It is. It, it totally is. And, and you know, and it, it's interesting that that this is us, which is, you know, a melting pot of different people and what's important to them and looking at, you know, the cultural differences that they have. And yet how, hey, it's the same red blood that runs through us. We all want, uh, hopefully we all want the same thing is to better ourselves. I mean, there's the 10 commandments, but at the end of the ten, at the end of the day, it's the 10 humankind commandments. You know, in your heart of hearts, what's right and wrong. Sure. And so, you know, with gender equality measurement, it's really looking at, would you want your daughter portrayed this way? Would you speak to your son the same way that you're speaking to your daughter? I'm going to go with not a very well scoring gem show. It's going to be an unpopular opinion, folks. Get ready. The Bachelor. <laughs> it's interesting. You're right. You're right. It, it, that's a hard one. I, it's I been know, around for so long. You know, and it's interesting that you bring that up because who was it? It was the woman that he supposedly this last uh, season was engaged to was from Minnesota. And there was actually a senator that put up a, a got a billboard that said, you're not allowed in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's hard, right? Because this is actually not a scripted show. So right. you're, you're also kind of looking at elements of the way that they edit the show and how they create the storylines based on those edits. You know, um, it, we could just go back to like married with children would have been like, you know, a good example of a bad scoring gem right. show back in the day part of, you know part of it is and it comes from um you know 90 percent of women who have children say i don't have shows that i want to watch with my daughters so how can we change that so we literally have gone into um the different broadcasters viacom how can we make it make friendly shows that it's a positive role model for women um that's why we've got different awards that we have that are see her awards with different celebrities, because we want positive role models out there that little girls can look up to and little boys. I mean, men are part of this conversation too. It's not sure. just women and, and there's role models in different ways that, that they need to learn how to, I don't want to say learn, but probably just scope a little bit differently when they're speaking with their daughters of, of, what is intent when it comes to how, who can I be when I grow up? 
that was one thing I have to say. My parents, I could be whoever I wanted to be. Sure. Which was great. Um, and when I look at that, I mean, I have a lot of people that are still back in Minneapolis and like, wow, you moved to Chicago. You've had your own business. You've traveled all over the place. I'm like, it's a big, wonderful world out there. You can be whatever you want to be. Oh, I mean, I'm from Cape Cod. People don't leave Cape Cod. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. It's it, uh, so I totally get it. You know, right. It's and being working in sports now, it's kind of there's that awe that right. sometimes comes up. Um, I think uh, Shonda Rhimes does a great job. Absolutely. With her shows. Absolutely. Well, and, and you were seeing that now where we're getting more and more entertainers that are being able to um, actually get money behind them to actually right. do shows. And that's very empowering. And, and, you know, the role we just come came off the Olympics, the role models inside the Olympics and what's gone on inside the Olympics. I mean, I still love the Olympic is like, I'm a nine year old. I want to sit and watch <laughs> it. I mean, it's just fun to watch. And you just know, I mean, from Procter and Gamma, when they, they came up, came up with the whole program of mom and the moms behind the, the mm-hmm. teammates inside uh, the Olympics. It's true. You were dropping kids off at four in the morning for ice time and they didn't get home till eight or nine at night. And we're trying to figure out how to get homework done and feed them. And it's Jason Dell was the one who came up with the mom's house idea um, at the time when he was running the P and G sport entertainment. And you think about that, that's still around because at the end of the day, it's the, the localness of home and home environment, but it's and and what they did inside that environment and how they were able to grow those kids into incredible athletes that had no that had no boundaries. How do you think um, uh, advertisers and marketers can shift the landscape when it comes to women's sports? Well, I think the women's U.S. hockey and U.S. soccer have done a great program in the sense of really stepping to the plate and saying we need to be paid the same amount of payment. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring in the same amount of audience. And I think also the advertisers have to say we, you know, everyone's looking for a deal. What can we do for a deal for a deal? And yet if we're going to empower these women the way that we empower them, we show them on television, how we use them, we need to empower their pocketbooks as well. If we keep it, if we keep payment and our salaries at the rate that we're going right now, we will not be equal with men up to 130. Sounds the time to make those differences. Do you think that uh, advertisers, marketers can, <laughs> now Zoe's saying hi. Hi, Zoe. <laughs> Do you think that they can um, create a difference in, in the current <laughs> uh, content landscape? You know, right now, women's sports aren't given the airtime. They aren't aren't given the um, the viewing capacity because they're just not put on stations or right. streaming services. Um, there's a great new streaming service that is coming out soon, um, and I'm looking forward to testing it when it does. Um, that is going to focus just on women's sports, but I think, like from a a standpoint of like your national broadcasters and and some of your other, you know, main sports channels, you still have that lack of coverage over women's sports. Can advertisers and marketers help move that along as well? I would think so. Um, It's moving the needle. It's also knowing that your audience, I mean, you look at the NFL, 
they know that part of their audience is women. There's a percentage that they actually went after about six, seven years ago to, to influence women so they would learn and, and, and grow with the sport. They're not just the ones in the kitchen making the, the Doritos and the nachos and the hot dogs so that everyone has something to eat. They're sitting down and watching the games too. So they're trying to empower and inform people because that's another layer to, to that, um, to the audience as well as flag 60 is another layer to the audience. Like the sports sport companies such as the NBA and the NFL and MLS, they know that you need to brand someone by the age of the time, by the age of five and they will be part of your team for the rest of their lives. So they are mad hot after those dollars to make sure that they can brand, brand a kid one way or another. So Women, of course, were thought secondly behind it, which is unfortunate, but it just is what it is. And and it is making the shift and it is empowering the brand saying, we want to see more women. We're advertising with more women. We want to see sports of more women. Um, and I think it's great that that one station is going to be doing that more. I think the reality is, is that, you know, when was, was it 73 when it was Title IX that came out, I believe? So, you know, sports was way ahead of that in the sense of it was only men. So 73 and now we're in 2018. Right. And that's where we need to make some of the shift. Zoe is not letting us have a, a good recording. Um, so I think I think I agree with that. You know, I would love to see more teams partner with the women's leagues. Right. So you've seen it up in Buffalo. Um, I know Pegula's Sports and Entertainment has um, has really. Um, I think they've got their uh, women's hockey team mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they've basically partnered with, and they and and so they're they're bringing it along with them. And I would love to see that more in some of the other sports. There's that responsibility. I almost feel like that the men's professional leagues have to help pull along the women's leagues because once you get people playing right they feel that that connection box. they feel that connection that like you know you and i do to people like shalane flanagan you right, know right. the runners yep absolutely. Um, so i don't know it's just something that like mulls in my head like if more advertisers were to say listen guys um we're going to shift our money over to the women's leagues. And the way that you can get a piece of that is by pulling them along. I love that. That would be incredible. They wouldn't know what to do because it's taking them off center. And part of what makes life such a great journey is putting things off center, not Mm -hmm. the status quo. Right. And if we can make that off center one way or another, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I've been a pro pro proponent of the women's soccer team and what they're doing. I think it's huge because at the end of the day, you're dropping off kids to go and play soccer. Who's involved with that a lot of the times is the moms. And they're the ones at the end of the day that are going to be making the decisions of what brands are coming into their homes. Well, and imagine being a young girl at the age of five, seven, nine, who whose team is supported by P&G and also the local men's soccer you know professional soccer league and 
and then there's that connection there on all of the branding. Absolutely. Side. Absolutely. So, it's, it's, it's what Chevrolet did years ago with little league baseball. They went in and they branded all the, all the, all the teams. And you know what? Target's trying to do that with, with developing over 500 soccer, uh, soccer sites across the nation. Well, and Chevrolet actually is still doing that. Their focus on women generally right now is and young women and, and, you know, bringing women up in different industries. Um, I can't remember where I, I saw something, but it, it was probably something with see her, you know, I'm right. thinking, right. Um, which has been a, a really great platform. Where do you see that moving or how do you see? How many times can I say see in one sentence? Um, how do you how do you see that getting more front and center um, and and really becoming kind of like a viral movement? Well, it's like I said, it started two years ago. Um, just came back from a meeting in New York uh, at uh, William Morris Entertainment. We had a room of 90 different individuals. They were definitely powerful individuals. They were chief brand ambassadors, uh, chief creative officers, where we sat down in and had different panels talk about their stories and how they were empowered as young women and how they are, who they are today. So putting those CCOs and, and, and the brands in the same room and having them have conversations saying, listen, this is how we need to move forward. If you really want to move forward in an impactful way, you need to change how you're advertising, how you're creating the advertisement, as well as where you're placing the advertisement. So we're shifting it all with dollars at the end of the day, because where are you going to hurt people? It's in the pocket, right. in the back pocket. So. I hope that we not only grow into by 2020 to exceed our 20% goal of, of having positive media role models, but to exceed it. Um, I, I believe that it's, it's not only a, a woman's issue, it's, it's a human rights issue at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And it's trajectory of going forward of we're doing a shift right now anyway, from traditional media to digital media. I don't even think that, I mean, traditional still here, but media is media at the end of the day right now. Right. It is. And so this is helping us shift what needs to be done. So as we move forward, um, we have those positive role models. So they're looking at, they're growing in entertainment, they're growing in sport, they're growing in, you know, what can you do, not just on a national, international level, because we're doing, you know, events with, I believe it's United Nations. Um, oh, UN Women? UN Women, yes. Yeah. Um, and 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 the the women that are involved with this, it's interesting because it comes from they come from so many different um, backgrounds and so many so much different uh, diversity that we're able to show the different women that are involved and the men, but and the men. Yeah. Do you um is there a way for people listening to help or get involved? Um, you know, I'm I personally am not sure about that. So that's, you know, also a personal question for me. Like, how right. do I get involved? How right. am I able to help? Um, but also for people listening. Right. You can go to seeher.com, S-E-E-H-E-R.com. Um, there's some more information that's there. You can also reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can reach out to Gail Tiffert or Shelly Zellis, who are the co-founders of it as well. Granted, we all have crazy busy schedules, so we'll definitely get back to people ASAP. Um, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it is cohesiveness and it is building the right people on this movement because it affects everybody. Sure. It affects everybody. And then how do people follow what you're doing and get in touch with you? Probably the best bet is through my LinkedIn profile, which is Kathleen A. Scoville. 
S-C-O-V-E-L. Um, just send me a note, ping me. Um, I'm also on Twitter, K-A-S, Kathleen, on Twitter. Um, you can tweet me up there too. I <laughs> There's times I would get busy on it and then there's times when I'm a little bit quieter on it. It just depends on uh, one, if I have time and two, if um, I'm really passionate about something that's going on. Yeah. You know. Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. And it was so fun talking with you. Thank you. I had a blast too. Thank Great. you so much. Thanks again to Kathleen for popping by the apartment and chatting with Jerry and I. Um, I enjoyed our conversation and I'm looking forward to seeing more about the See Her movement as time goes on. Again, for my birthday, all I want is your rating and reviewing and subscribing and sharing. Also, make sure you're following us on uh, all of the social media at LTPFpod. You can email us at ltpfpod at gmail.com. And your rating, reviewing, and subscribing presence can be done on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Have a great week. This is a Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy Quick Fix on Radio Influence. You know, years ago, we used to spend a lot of money on advertising. Years ago, we used to spend a lot of money in the newspaper and on online ads and email blasting. And now we are in this crazy little world of social media. Look, man, it's free. But just because it's free doesn't mean that you don't have to be responsible with it. I still, to this day, watch people put up shitty pictures of food, pictures of bad-looking drinks, pictures of, of unengaged, uninspired guests or staff. You know, for me, I've got kind of a simple rule of thumb. I basically do four posts a day. You can switch these up as much as you want. I always put in some form of a food picture. Food makes people hungry. It's a great way to promote what it is that you're doing. The other picture that I'll put up is some form of booze or a a drink. But I always make sure that I have a logo in the background or something that kind of touches on what I am. Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.